0: Teach us to pray. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. It's good. It's a privilege to be able to come and share the word with you this morning. Thank you, Jacques. Um, (laughs) My name is Christy. I am one of the leaders here at Thrive Church. And as you can see, Pastor Barry and Megan, all of our pastors, are away this week at convention in Tennessee, and it is a very, very important convention this week. Um, they are voting on a new president for the um, organization, for Foursquare. And so before we begin, let's take a minute and let's pray for them. We want to pray for our pastors, and we want to pray for this, this election also. Can you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning, Lord, we're thankful for your presence in this place. We're thankful that when we come, you always come we you're already here god but when we come we step into your presence where we can see you and feel you and hear you and experience you lord you do not hide from us lord this morning we pray for our pastors that are in tennessee we pray for the church as a whole over there and lord we pray that you would give them wisdom that you would refresh them that lord you would lead them as they choose our next president to lead us into the new season that you have in front of us lord we thank you that You already know, and you already know the way. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give peace and direction and that you would make good, godly connections for them while they're there as well. And we give you this time together. Lord, as we are here, Lord, we pray over this word that you would be heard. Help us to put our preconceived ideas to the side and allow you, Holy Spirit, to speak what you want to speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. It is good to pray as you... As um, if you were here last week, we started a series on prayer called um, Teach Us to Pray. And Pastor Barry, the main passage for our um, series is going to be out of Luke 2, where Jesus instructs his disciples on what to say when they pray. He actually gives them words to say. And um, before he uh, even—oh, no, no, let me come back. Let me say this. Prayer, bottom line— Is about relationship. It is us talking to God and it is about relationship. And Pastor Barry led us through the Lord's Prayer and and taught about it. And he said, First, it's honoring God. Um, When we come before Him, we are to honor Him and His kingship, who He is, to welcome His authority, His kingdom here. Bring your kingdom here. We sang about this this morning. It's funny because, well, as funny as we were singing this morning, I was thinking, Oh, yeah, that's what I'm speaking about. And that's, we're, we're like we're like hitting all these things we're learning about as we're, as we're worshiping, which is really awesome. Another is that we're invited to ask for our needs. He invites us. Our needs are important to him, and he wants us to talk to him about them. And then repentance from sin is necessary. God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for where we've sinned. And help us as we forgive others. And then lastly, we're asked... To, to ask him, Lord, keep me close to you. Help me to follow you so that I am not led astray in temptation. And um, God answers all that. And, we're, and see, Jesus was our example of how to actually pray and ask for those things. So we're to be doing them. Prayer centers around God and his person and our relationship to him. This morning as we go... Um, I have three ideas of, of prayer, of aspects of prayer, more of like um, facets of prayer that, that are very um, basic but integral because without these things you can't pray <clears throat> or you will lose the effect of being with God, you know, the, the the benefit of it. This morning, prayer is two-way communication. From the beginning of creation, God has desired to be with people. We saw that when he made Adam and Eve. They were the only two out of all creation that were made in his image. Everything else was made differently. And they were the only two that he communicated with and, and began to speak to and bless. In Genesis 1, he blesses them and he directs them at the same time. He gives them blessing, then he directs them to go, multiply, and take over. Stand in your, you are the, um, you rule over what I have made. He directs them to do that. And then in Genesis 3.38, we see God looking for them in the garden. Now, it wasn't like he didn't know where they were, but he was calling to them, the aspect of he was pursuing them. And and God looks for them in the garden. He calls for them. And at that time, they had sinned, so they were afraid. Shame had entered in, and they saw, oh, we're naked. We've done something wrong. Hide. God's coming. And, he, and at that moment, he steps out to speak to them, to call them to himself, to begin to deal with the sin so that the communication and the relationship can be restored. And we see the beginning of his um, heart toward us as people. All the way through biblical examples in the Bible, we see Abraham. How he calls him. Abraham was a. Um, he didn't serve God. He he served pagan gods. There was that's where he lived. Those were the gods that were there. And God speaks to him and draws him out. Says, "I'm sending you somewhere else." And He promises to him that I'm going to give you children, even though you don't have any, and you're older, and you're not going to be. Your body has passed. It's time to have children. I'm going to give you children. And he begins a work in Abraham's life. We see with Noah. Noah was one man and one family that obeyed God. And he drew them out. And he, and he, he, uh goodness, he made, he spoke to Noah about building the ark so he could save him and his family and start again. We see that he speaks to Moses, and all through history, all the stories we read in the Bible are about how God has interacted with people, everyday people. So we see his pursuit is there, and that we can hear God. The common lie that a lot of, thing, that a lot of believers believe is that God doesn't speak to me. I think people believe it. In general, the belief that if God's talking to you, you're crazy right that's not true that is a lie of the enemy if you are human you are made to hear god's voice now so let's just put that lie down right there you can hear god's voice a long time ago when i was growing up well i grew up in the church i was a, i've been a christian since i was young i was around people always talking about how god spoke to them about this god directed them to do that god moved in their life to do this and I felt for a long time like, well, I don't think I hear God. I'm not hearing him like that. So in my mind, I began to say, well, I guess I just don't hear God. And I believed that life for quite a while in my life. Well, I don't hear God. You know, I read my Bible, but I don't hear God talking to me. And the thing was that as I, I began to get frustrated and I wanted that, I want to hear God's voice. I want that. Why not me? And God is so good, he deals with us and he leads us to to the truth. And he began to show me in his word about his character. Who he is, that he's a loving God, that he, he is, he receives all. There's none that he pushes away and says, no, you can't come to me. So if he's receiving of all and he loves us, why would he not speak to us? Why would he not speak to some of us and some he will? So, he began to teach me how to identify his voice. And it started as a young believer that I would, I would feel him. I would be somewhere, and all of a sudden there's this gut feeling like, no, I don't think that's right. We can't be doing that. we got to go over here. We've, this, no, that's not okay. Or, oh, or there's this compassion that would hit me. And it was like, I have to do something. Or I have to say something. And the desire to do and pray and speak, that was his voice. He was speaking to me. He didn't use words. He used what I knew, my senses. He used me. And, and I began to learn that, oh, that's God. I need to pay attention. When reading the Bible, I would begin to feel guilt for sin. I would read certain scriptures, and all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute. I've been doing that. And it was like a light was on all of a sudden I began to understand that this is sin in my life and I need I need to be forgiven and God was speaking to me through his word and those are some of the main ways he'll speak to us and then as we 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 have to learn to hear his voice the more time that we spend in prayer and talking to him and paying attention to him we begin to hear and recognize not begin to hear we begin to recognize that we're hearing him there's two reasons that a lot of times communication is stopped up. Or, or well, not, no, let me say that again. There's two reasons for not hearing. The one is we haven't learned to recognize his voice, which is what I was just talking about. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep know my voice. Well, you're learning to hear his voice. If you belong to him, You're going to hear him. And then the other thing is that willful sin blocks our communication. And we see that in scripture over and over where um, when people held on to their sin, it damaged their communication with the Father. It damaged their ability to receive his blessing. It damaged um, their ability to hear his voice. And we see this in um, 1 Peter 3.7, the mistreatment of each other. When we mistreat each other, it, it says our prayers will not be heard. It talks here about husbands and wives, but it's not just within that relationship. It's also with other people. If we mistreat people, our prayers will be not answered. They will not be heard. Loving sin. If I hold on to sin in my heart, if God has already said something to me or shown me what is right, and I am saying, no, I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing that I am loving sin. I am loving something that he has said no to. And I can, and I can um, not hear his voice because of that. Excuse me, Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When we hold on to sin, what we're doing is we're holding on to pride. We're holding on to our sense of, I have the right to do this. Or, no, I I think this is probably the best thing, God, and the promises that you've made for me, I don't know if those are going to happen for sure. I'm going to do what I know is I can take care of myself. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a dangerous position to begin to move away from his correction and his communicating to us in the way that we should go. We begin to remove ourselves out of the, um, the line of receiving his love and his goodness to us. So, It says, um, Isaiah 59, 2 says, He hides his face, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It says our sins have separated us from God. It's not he separates himself. It's that we have no longer kept him on the throne of our heart, and we hold on to something we feel the right we have to hold on to, and it just naturally displaces him. Does that make sense? says, but and God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we realize that we have been living in a way that's not right, and we choose to say, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to say yes to you, and I'm, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to help me to walk out of this. Then that restores us back into the line of communication to where we can begin to hear his voice again. So these are the two reasons when we see our wrong and we humble ourselves, we ask for forgiveness. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all wickedness. So he'll cleanse those things out of our lives. Even if um, those things are still hard to work with, hard to deal with, because we feel the emotion of them, he will cleanse them out of our lives. Pastor Barry talked in his uh, message last week about the sin of unforgiveness, because Jesus was talking to the disciples in Luke 2, and at the end, he, and he talked about forgiving others. And, he, and Pastor Barry went to the story of the two servants and how one was forgiven his debt, but the other one, he held on to his, um, he went and he tried to get his debt repaid. He didn't offer forgiveness. And um, when he came before his master, the master said, well, I forgave you your debt, why didn't you do the same? And 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 the The Bible talks that God is so against the sin of unforgiveness because it's so, it's so unlike him. And so, um, unforgiveness can be a huge thing that keeps us from hearing the word of God to us, from hearing what he wants to say to us when we pray. But, and that's where the thing is, it's hard to work through those emotions sometimes when we're in a place of working through forgiveness or maybe we are choosing not to forgive because it's hard it hurts but God wants to work that out of us and release that offender to him because he will do the work he will do the work to restore or to to um he'll he'll deal with the offender and then we can come back into place with him and receive the goodness that he has for us because restoration is a part of forgiveness, our restoration, um, our communication with him is restored when we ask for forgiveness. Pastor Barry, I'm, I know I'm, re- I'm going back to Pastor Barry a lot, you guys, but because I'm following where we're going, we're going into a place of some things that are going to be new to us, and so we're going to be going back and kind of revisiting some of these aspects of prayer, but He told the story of Mother Teresa, and I was reading it this week. Mother Teresa is known for her prayer life as part of her life. She's also known for her her, um, humanitarian work in Calcutta. And so when we hear of uh, Mother Teresa, we think that's a woman who knew God. And she has a lot of really good quotes about about, um, prayer. And one of the ones is just a story from her life. She was being interviewed. It's a powerful story. She was being interviewed. He told about it last week. And the news anchor said to her, so what do you say when you pray? And she said, uh, I listen. And he said, oh, well then, what does God say? And she said, he listens. And he was kind of put off by that. Like, whoa, I don't know what to say to that. And she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. There's some... <laughs> There are some things about prayer that you just learn from experience. And one of them is being. Being in his presence. This morning we sang songs about being in his presence and how there's all these interactions that happen between us and him when we're just in his presence. Um, how, How our our hearts are restored, our soul is restored. Well, he invites us to come into his presence and just be. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry his spirit around with us wherever we go. If you are a, if you have given your heart to Jesus and you have made the decision to follow him, then you can be assured that you have his Holy Spirit living inside of you. So wherever you go, you carry the presence of God. And wherever you are, you can at any moment step into his presence by turning your attention to him. You don't always have to speak. You don't always have to do anything. But you can naturally step into his presence just by turning your attention to him, no matter where you are. We see that in Psalm 23, 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. He prepares a table for us. There is a table that is always set, waiting for us. And the moment we turn our attention to him and step into his presence, we have the choice to sit at his table and to eat from him and let him reassure us. And it's really cool because this scripture, I never really thought about it all the way, but it has a lot there in that little two-line sentence. When we sit at his table, it provides sustenance. It refreshes us. It takes care of our need. But then it says, you anoint my head with oil. Oil in the Old Testament was used in different things. We see it was a healing thing. It was a, um, they would apply it for healing. We see that it was applied when they anointed a king or a prophet um, they, or a priest over the temple, that it was a way of saying God's choice is over you. God's favor is over you. And you are who I delight in for this. I am pleased with you. It, it, it reassures us of our position. His oil, he anoints my head with oil. He reassures me, my pleasure is on you. I am not far from you. I am with you. You are the one that I have for this. He anoints my head with oil. And then it says, my cup overflows naturally from that place. When we sit at a table with him and we take in his presence, we just be. We don't have to have words. Sometimes our emotions are too big for words, right? When we really need to just be with him, it's usually because we're exhausted or, or we're overwhelmed or we have sorrow, great sorrow, we've been hurt, or sometimes just in extreme gratefulness. You can have tears of joy and need to just be with God because you are overwhelmed by what he has done. In those things, he invites us to come and to just be. And our tears are worship. Our tears are our prayers. Our tears, our heart brought before him is our worship. And our prayer. And he loves being with us, and he restores us. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, those who hope in the Lord gain new strength. And if you read on, it talks about mounting up with wings like eagles, that that the eagle soars above it. He soars above it. He's known for soaring above. And that is one of the greatnesses that when we think of eagles, that's one of the things we naturally think of. Their, their strength and their ability to handle the, the strong wind currents and to fly above them. And he makes his strength renews us like that. What, that's one of the reasons, church, it's important to rest, to learn to rest. Uh, we did EMH here um, a couple times now. We've gone through emotional, healthy spirituality And in that series, we learn about how important it is for us to take a Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest in the sense of taking a day or a portion of time and setting everything that needs work aside. No to do lists, no chores, anything that causes you stress as far as work, not people. (laughs) You can't leave your family and go off somewhere and say, I'm done with you. I'm going to rest. You can for a little bit. Go for a walk. But you have to come back. <laughs> but the importance of taking a Sabbath rest and putting aside work, putting aside those things that we have to take care of, that we're responsible for, and spending that time resting. And some of those things that restore us are having a good meal, spending time with a friend, or, or just even taking a nap. Sitting, sitting and taking extra long time when we're doing our our time before the Lord, when we're reading his word, or just, um, you know, shutting off technology sometimes is a way of resting and just stilling ourselves. And there's great peace that comes when we still ourselves. Psalm 91, one through two, it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The word dwell means to sit down, to stay longer than intended, to linger, to linger. He who lingers, the term most high means king over all. I mean, that's kind of commonplace. I like to look at scriptures a lot of times and just seek words and break them down as simple as possible so that we can get away from kind of our repetition because I think a lot of times we get used to reading certain words. We kind of don't take in the full effect or the full weight of what they mean. So it's kind of nice to break them down. The most high. He is king overall. He is supreme. The word rest means to be firmly fixed, rooted. In his presence or in his shadow, which would be like, the think of like a, a tree, shades you from the sun. It gives you cool. It gives you a place to rest. And the all-powerful for almighty, the unconquerable. You might read it something like this. He who lingers in the house of the king over all will be rooted in the shade of the all-powerful, unconquerable one. Let me read that again. He who lingers in the house of the king over all, takes his time, will be rooted in the shade of the all powerful, unconquerable one. From that place, we are able to say, He is my hope, He is my defense, He is my God who exceeds, He is my confidence. From our times of rest, there's something that happens where we, there's a trade off. I trade off my sorrow. I trade off my worry. I trade off my situations. And I'm able to sit in the presence of the unconquerable one and remind myself that, wait a minute, you are king over all, you are my shelter, you are my defense. You are the one who will handle everything in my life because you love me and you have opened up your home to me. You have opened up your shelter to me and I am welcomed here. And there is something that happens in that moment where the worry that was on the seat of our hearts is dethroned and the king of Overall, all, the unconquerable one, is able to take his rightful place and we are reminded of who we are to him and what he will do. And we can let go. We can let go. See, that's the cool thing too. Like like when, when we have, and I'm going back to unforgiveness because that's just something that, that is so blatantly talked about that God says this will separate our communication. It, it, it damages our communication. But see, when I let Jesus come and sit on the throne of my heart in that place and, and I stop looking at the, the offense And I stop looking at um, the right or the wrongs, in my opinion, and I just let him be God. I can say, you know what? I can let that go. And I can trust you. You don't change. Your word doesn't change. And you are the one who will handle my life. And you will handle that situation. And you will lead it to where it needs to be. From there, I am made confident. From being with him, I am made confident We also see that prayer is empowering. It, when we rest in him, we, it revives us, right? We were just talking about it revives us. I'm going to read to you a scripture, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. I'm reading it out of the message, so it's a little different. You're going to read it and be like, what is that? But if you really think it about it, it does say this, and it's, it's not what we're used to. But this is what it says. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to everyone you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's what that means. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. And don't, I'm sorry, let humble appeals and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. I need to be settled down when I'm worrying. It is wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Not good. That's such a good reading of it. It's so different than what we're used to, but. It's so great. I had to reread that part about where your gentleness is evident to all because I didn't see it at first. But that's part of gentleness is letting people know that you're for them and not against them, right? Um when I choose to put my worries in the light of who he is, confidence happens no matter my situation. So it doesn't say that my worries or the things I'm praying about have actually even changed. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that all of a sudden everything is better and and the person, um, and I'm going back to people because a lot of times that's our situations, right? All of our lives revolve around people and relationships, no matter what it is. If it's at home or if it's at school or at work, wherever it is, neighborhood, in our, in our neighborhood, whoever it is, it's usually with people. And so it doesn't say that anything has changed, that God will change things. No, it doesn't say that. It says that he displaces the worry at the center of our lives when we bring it to him and we pray about it. And it says humble appeals, a humble appeal. What does that look like? God, I come to you with my frustration in this. I don't know how to change it. But I know that I'm not handling it right. And I want to. Show me how to let it go. Show me what you want me to say and do. Show me how to love this person. Show me your heart and help me to walk in it. And what it does is that appeal because you, and, and praise, praise is in there too, because you're good. And I know that you're trustworthy. Those are praises. Those are praises. Reminding ourselves of who God is and what he does and what he's good at. Those are praises. And he displaces it. He just places that in our hearts. The confidence happens no matter what, no matter if the strained relationship is healed, no matter my hard choices that I end up having to make or emotional pain that I feel as a regard of them, as as a, a part of them, no matter the unfair treatment that may still happen, I become empowered. I become empowered to walk through that situation. We see this with the life of Jesus. We see this in him that he came and he walked and he changed things around him, but the course of his life was going to the cross. And there was, there was rejection and there was all kinds of obstacles that were coming against him all the way to the cross. And nothing changed that pressure. That pressure was going to be there. And the ultimate thing was that he was going to lay himself down on that cross and allow people to kill him. And he had all that. That was his reward of walking against rejection and walking against difficulty. That was the reward of what was at the end of his road. But that's not the true reward, right? We know that he was doing that for us. We are the reward of that. And he loved us so much that that's why he did it. He wasn't looking at the cross. He was looking beyond it. He was looking at us. He was looking at the relationship that would happen between us and him, the, restu- the restoration and the communication that was lost at creation. He was looking at that, and that was the joy set before him. That's what the Bible says. That was the joy set before him, and so he pushed through it. But he didn't do it. Just He didn't come to earth, grow up, and just do it because he, he's God. He could have he could have done it that way. He could have just came in like a hero and just plowed through life, laid himself down and rose from the grave and gone back into heaven and been done with it and, and done the job, done it. But he didn't. He chose to deal with weakness and difficulty and to take on likeness of man like, so that he could show us that I know what you're going through. I understand your pain. And I walked it too. He did it for that, to so that he could he could um, empathize with us. So he could see he he could he could make it known to us that I know what you feel. And we see that he did that. Nothing changed, but but what helped him to go through it was his time away with the Father. That was the strength of his life. He showed us how to pray because he knew we would need to do it too. <laughs> that, we, that our obstacles in our life are not always going to change. That we, don't have, we are not going to be able to um, see all these things change so that our path is made easier. But his prayer life with the Father empowered him to get up and go and face Judas and the guards that were there to arrest him. When you read it in the Gospels, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it talks about how he went away and prayed three times with his disciples before he actually faced his arrest with Judas. And it talks about how he was troubled in spirit so much to the point of death. He was overwhelmed to where he felt death. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think he actually felt like, this is too much for me. I can't carry this. And we see it in his prayers when he says, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But if it's not, then let your will be done. And that is reflected in the the prayer that he told his disciples to pray. Not my will, but your will. Your kingdom come. Right? And we see that. And from that, he was empowered to go to the cross, to stand in our place. So when we come before our Father and we spend time and we pour out our hearts or we, or we are just there, we can expect the same for our own lives. And from that place, we are anointed, reassured of who we are. We are called conquerors. God turns to us and says, now you are conquerors. Just so y'all know, you are conquerors. All of you, all of us, we are conquerors, more than conquerors, okay? That's pretty awesome. You don't just overtake it, you above overtake it, okay? <laughs> I don't quite know what all that looks like yet, but that's a pretty awesome thought, that you go above it in your conquering. You take it over. You don't trade one sin for a lesser sin. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to do this anymore. Instead, I'm going to do this because it's not as bad. No. Yeah. Jesus came to conquer all that, so you're going to conquer all that. Right? He calls us his ambassadors. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we you implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God we are then given our rightful reminder that we are authority figures here on earth. It does not matter the title you hold. That does not make you a leader. It is who you are, and God has put leadership in all of us to lead this world to Jesus so that they can experience who he is and his love for them. And we all do it by, by being who we are, by being who we are and letting God's word and who he is come out of us from our times of getting to know him, right? From our times of prayer, we are an authority sent from another land to stand as a representative here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And one day we will go to our rightful place in heaven when he calls us home. But for now, we stand here. And we get to walk out in the goodness of what God has done in our lives. And we get to speak and bring others to that goodness that he wants to do in them as well. And get, get this. An ambassador is backed by his homeland. Who backs you, right? Who backs us? The God, the unconquerable one, backs us. We can draw on his authority and on his power anytime we need. Whenever we need, we can just step right in, step right into his presence with our heart and our mind and say, I'm here, Jesus. I don't know what to do in this situation, but you do. You show me. Your kingdom come here right now. And you can expect that he'll speak. He will speak. Jesus is our ultimate ambassador. He invaded the darkness with light. And We see that after he prayed, he moved out in power, he moved out in confidence and direction, he didn't come to situations and then say a prayer. He didn't come into a situation and say, "Okay, God, show me what you want to do here, and I pray for healing. He didn't do that, yes, he's God, yes, he has all authority inside of his he, in in him to just speak and make it happen, but he's showing us something that is is for us as well that we have the right to use the authority we have and speak to things and see things change now those things are in line with the will of the father right we can't just call things green and they become green and and, and do whatever we want that's not that's not what this is but his alignment with the father in his times of prayer Empowered him to walk and say, see, be calm. Lazarus, come out. Blind, see. And from that, things changed. And he, he um, miracles resulted from his commands. And we have that same spirit inside of us. Those who are called by, by his name, those who have put their faith in Jesus, have the same spirit as him. And we have been told that we would do greater things. And he wants to direct our lives so that we move out in confidence every day. I don't normally share this, but I'm going to share this story. I was praying last night. I was like, Lord, I really need a little story to tag into there. I want to kind of, you know, a little illustration, a little window in it all. Well, last night I had a dream. And I'm, I don't normally share these kinds of things because it's kind of like, okay. But God speaks to us through our dreams, right? Last night I had a dream. It was actually this morning. And I had a dream that we were there was a group of us, Jacques and I, and a group of us were in this room. And the room looked like um, it was beautifully laid out, it was beautifully decorated. It was lavish, and it looked like we were in a foreign country consulate or something like an embassy. And um in the room, there was beautiful chairs and pictures and and there was people, and we were all talking about different things. We were all talking. And we were encouraging each other. And there was encouragement happening. And I just remember I was encouraged by something that was said to me. And as I was looking around the room, I was like, everything looks so golden. There was It sounds really weird, but track with me. There was like a golden, almost like the place had been dusted in gold. And it was Beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, like when you put on a lot of bronzer <laughs> and your face is glowy. It was like that, but everywhere. And it was really pretty. Okay. It was really beautiful. And I just remember going, wow, it's like so golden in here. And, um, And then all of a sudden our meeting was over and we were all released and we were all walking down the hall and the hall looked very similar to like what the room looked like. It was very lavish and nice and looked like maybe at the White House or something. And we're walking down the hall and everybody was returning to their positions of work. Everybody was going back to work. And I remember I was strapping on my watch and I was following Jacques. Jacques was a little ahead of me. I was following Jacques. I was strapping my watch on and I hear that is the Holy of Holies. And what made sense to me is that we were in the Holy of Holies. We were meeting with our God, and we were being encouraged together, and there was something that was happening where we were receiving direction and encouragement, and we were all doing it together, and then we were all sent back out to go and do our jobs. And the watch, we lingered. We weren't paying attention to time. We were just there together. And that is the desire of our God with us. Come and linger wherever you are, Come and linger with me, and I will send you out to do the work that you have to do, and you'll go out in power and strength because I'm with you. But this power and this strength does not happen unless we've been in the presence of God. The holy of holies, in, in case that's kind of an unfamiliar term, in the Old Testament, it has to do with, the, um, in the Old Testament, they would worship at a, tem- at a temple, and they had different rooms within the temple and the room where god 's present dwelled presence dwelled was called the Holy of Holies, and it was beautiful that 's where the Ark of the Covenant was. it was gold and it was it was um, it was beautifully it was just beautiful and the the priest would go in there once a year and he would make offerings and sacrifices, and he would go in there and it would and and he would come out and it was a, such a holy place that He had to make sure everything was right with him and God before he went in there because he may not come out because the presence of God was there. And so this is the holy of holies. When we step into God's presence, when we are wherever we are and we turn our attention to him and we give him our attention and our heart for even just a few seconds, we step into the holy of holies. And in that place, God can redirect us. And he can assure us, he can fill us up and send us out. And that is the importance of prayer. So this, this morning I've said a whole bunch of things about, about prayer. And about what happens with our communication and how we should be hearing God's voice and what blocks those things. And about being with him and the importance of it, how it empowers our life. I want to welcome the worship team. Come on up. If you could stand with me, let's 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 go to prayer. If you have never, if this is a new idea to you about Jesus and, and hearing his voice and the life of following God, following Jesus is new to you. And maybe some of this is like kind of interesting or bizarre to you. You're kind of like, "Mm, I don't know about this. God has always been seeking us, and we see it in Scripture. And he is not against us. And that is a lie of the enemy that would tell us he is, to separate us, to make us feel like we're on our own when we're not. The presence of the Most High God, the unconquerable one, is for you and me. Let's bow our heads this morning. If you have not ever made a, um, a choice to receive Jesus in your life, to ask him to forgive your sins, because the Bible says without him there's no other way to, be, to know God. That he's the way. And that his death and his resurrection, his death and coming to life is what purifies us from sin. It it puts us into a new place with God. It gives us the ability to know him and for him to, to speak to us and us to hear him clearly. This morning, if you have never made a commitment to follow Jesus, just raise your hand. We'll pray right now and it'll all be done. Your position will change right in an instant. You will go from a stranger to knowing Jesus, to being adopted, part of his family. Okay. On the other hand, maybe you know the Lord and you have struggled with um, unforgiveness or other things that the Lord is talking to us about. I know I did. God wants to forgive it. He wants to wipe it out and walk with us through it. And he wants to give us a fresh start at hearing his voice. All it takes is us saying, forgive me, Jesus. Help me, turning our hearts to him. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can just agree in your heart if this is you. Father, Forgive me for my sin. Lord, where I have had unforgiveness or doubt or worry. Where I've tried to handle it on my own. Where I have felt the, the angst of this situation, God, and I've not given it to you. I give it to you now. And I don't know how to walk out of it, but I want to. I don't know how to handle the situation, but I want to. I want to forgive. And I want to let you have my worry. Jesus, as we come to you, Lord, I thank you that you have promised to forgive us. That when we ask and we call on your name, For forgiveness, you will give it to us. You died for it. You will not withhold it. And the word says that you do not hold our sins against us. As far as the east is from the west, so are our sins from you. That you do not remember them or think on them. Or when we turn to talk to you, you don't pull them out and say, well, wait a minute. That you remove them. Father, remove any sense of guilt in this place today. As well, God, I pray for refreshing in this place today. That when we come and we pray and we talk to you, that our hearts would be refreshed. And Lord, I pray for communication to be restored in this place today. For healing in this place today where there has been brokenness. God, we, we have invited you and we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for speaking to us and showing us what is right for encouraging our hearts and for, for anointing our heads with oil today. This morning, Lord, as we, as we get ready to leave, Lord, we pray. I pray over us that, Lord, you would, you would empower us this week, that, Lord, we would spend time and really experience the things we talked about today and remember them. And that we would be empowered to face whatever troubles we have to face this week. Knowing that the unconquerable one provides us shade and goes with us. That we never do it by ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.